0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in, wherever you are, in on your AirPods, uh, at home, listening on your big sound systems or in the car. You have here today Mallory, who will definitely tell us more about this whole alignment between RevOps and ABM. Hey Mallory. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks a lot for joining our podcast. So if we if we I, I like to do this podcast and get right into it. Um I will put you some questions just to understand a bit more about your experience. Uh, you can tell us your story and how did you end up doing RevOps, then ABM, what are the and how, how, how is now when you look at these two, um, let's say, uh, quite trendy um, words out there in the LinkedIn, LinkedIn world, because it, it got really trendy in the last uh, three, four years. And I see that you are in this business for some time now. So tell us a bit more about you um, and how did you end up in this, this space?
1: Cool. Yes, you're right. Um, somehow I have gotten lucky to be around the trends quite a bit. So I graduated from school in 2009 mm-hmm. when the economy was in very poor shape. And living in Indianapolis, um, one of the only companies that was growing at the time was exact Target. And I kind of had to put all of my eggs in that basket if I wanted to stay in town and um, find a company that was growing. That was really almost the only one. So I uh, got very lucky, hustled my way through. I did a, a free trial of Salesforce before my interview because it required Salesforce experience to become an analyst, and I didn't have that. So, um, <laughs> checked it out with a trial and got lucky and you know, had a good interview and got signed on there as a marketing analyst. And that was my very first software full-time role in marketing software.
0: And, and now exact target doesn't exist anymore, right? So they, they were bought by Salesforce or tell us more about the, the beginnings because then you went mm-hmm. to Terminus, you you did all the ABM spiel. You were director of, uh, revenue VP. Um, so there are some roles there that are pretty yeah. impressive. So tell us a bit more from, from the beginning, like the exact target. What was the company doing? Was it RevOps? Was it something else? And how does this, this career evolve into today's role?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So when I did get started at Exact Target as an analyst, I was on the marketing operations team. Mm. And we reported up through marketing. And so back then, you didn't really hear a lot about revenue operations. Everything was pretty siloed across the departments that people worked in. Um, But that's where I learned Salesforce and reporting. And I got very lucky to work on a lot of marketing automation projects. So when I joined Exact Target, we were just getting ready to expand into the UK and we were starting to grow and marketing automation was gaining popularity. So we tried a few partnerships and eventually we ended up acquiring Pardot. And mm-hmm. so I helped out with that Pardot acquisition and really got to know that team and ran marketing automation for Exact Target. And then through that partnership, uh, ended up joining the Pardot team for a while as a consultant. Once we were all, you know, one company. And then later, Salesforce came and acquired Exact Target and Pardot. And so that, you know, kind of changed everything. We were a public company by that point. And then Salesforce came in and did a really big deal with us. Um they took Pardot and immediately moved it to the sales cloud. And so very quickly, I was no longer part of the marketing cloud. I was part of the Salesforce sales cloud. Mm-hmm. And then Exact Target became the Exact Target, um, uh, became the Salesforce marketing cloud. Mm-hmm. So that was a big change and really enjoyed my time with Pardot and Salesforce. Um, but since I was working on strategic services and I knew that Salesforce doesn't really keep a lot of services in house, um, I was afraid that they were going to maybe do away with my team. So at that point, I started exploring other opportunities, got into marketing leadership. Um, but always kept that, you know, B2B demand gen, marketing automation, marketing operations background. And that's always been my strong suit. So over time, I've had a bunch of different marketing operations roles and marketing leadership. And then when I joined Terminus, they were already employing a unified revenue operations model that included the marketing operations duties as well as sales and other things. Um, so I joined them as an analyst just to kind of help out with like, The sales forecast and the pipeline, and understanding, you know, what's going on in the in the CRM, and that quickly evolved into leading the revenue operations team. So then I began to learn a lot about sales and comp plans and territory planning and all of the things that go along with supporting the sales group too. And then took on customer success operations with a dedicated headcount for that on my team, and really kind of started to see that whole picture and really quickly, I realized how awesome it is to be able to follow that entire customer journey from marketing to sales to CS and, um, haven't looked back
0: since. You know, I wonder, you know, 10 years ago, exact target doing this kind of ops 2023 today, and we still, um, see rev ops as some new, new, new thing. Right. And, and. There are a lot of, suddenly there is a lot of buzz about RevOps. How did we Mm -hmm. get, how did we, why in 2013, there was no buzz about, you know, RevOps and why is it now so much buzz about it?
1: It's a great question. I don't know if I have the definitive answer there, but I do know that we've seen, um, a pretty big growth in software that is more specifically serving RevOps. So the people that are building that software probably have a vested interest in making sure that the category grows, right? Mm. Um, the more that you target those buyers, the more that you create software to help them in their roles, um, the more demand that you're kind of creating for people to do those jobs. I also think that over time, people have just realized that Having a siloed go to market strategy creates a lot of blockers, creates a lot of confusion, a lot of breakdowns in the process. And so people who are embracing revenue operations for the first time, they usually are trying to get alignment across the different groups in their company. And that's a very tough problem. So it's a very tough thing to find people who are good at it. Mm. And you know, you also have the, um, the dark side of revenue operations, which is someone who is in sales operations, they're supporting sales, they're doing a great job. All of a sudden, they change their title to revenue operations because that's the popular yeah. new thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes those people are not actually taking on the full revenue cycle and they're not actually supporting multiple groups or departments. So I think that that controversy of... you know quote unquote like the wrong revenue operations is also um feeding the fire of people just kind of talking about how to do it correctly and how to make it work
0: okay let let let's build the onion there a bit because I have some theories uh, yeah. on i and and tell me if I'm wrong, so I believe that back in two thousand thirteen right. There was a lot of push from market techs. Hopspot is one of the examples. They were pricing on contacts, right? So they, they made money if you have more contacts. Mm-hmm. So which means that uh, you want to evangelize all the type of strategies possible that you have more contacts in your CRM, in your... Um, marketing engagement platforms, so on. So inbound was there. SEO was like, I, I remember like blog posting every day, one blog post. It was, that was the, mm-hmm. the main message that was the, uh, genre. Then you had, uh, all the landing pages and everything around demand generation, nothing around. Uh, actually, qualification, lead qualification, right? Like, who are those contacts that get in here, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just do the ebooks, do the ebooks, do the webinars, bring them in. If yeah. the quality, no quality, whatever. Um, obviously, also. Uh, PPC was much cheaper back then. Facebook ads was like, it was an Eldorado. It was before Cambridge Analytica. So you could do on Facebook, whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. I remember those times where we, you could do whatever ads. I, I was back then uh, in the triathlon. Uh, we were promoting a lot of triathlon uh, camps. With ex Iron Man winners, it was a website. It was a company called uh, from Denver called uh, Triathlon Research. Triathlon Research dot doesn't exist anymore. But that that was the main idea: webinars, ebooks, whatever, and then lead nurturing, right? Like the 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 gurus of lead nurturing. So, why should we even care about alignment? About uh, you know having all these processes uh, done well with, like either way they just need mqls right like that's what marketing should do then t- started companies started to uh, price um, more on rather the platforms and the functionality and they st- even now hubspot changed their pricing model where there is no more context right I and mean, only you have marketing context, but you have you can have as many contexts as you want and this is when i see that um, this is one of the theories what's your take on that and let's peel the onion a bit how was revops in those times different than it is now and because you saw it all right you you you, you saw this more than me how how it evolved
1: Yeah, that's a great observation, and you know it's true that depending on how the companies are trying to grow, um, they will either purposely or inadvertently kind of optimize for that in the market with best practices and webinars and and things that you know they put out there. So I do remember. Uh, Quite a bit at exact target, you know, a lot of our customers were B2C. And so we were talking huge volume, huge messaging volumes, big lists. And the idea was to get as sophisticated as possible with the email to make it relevant so that your email would drive revenue. Mm. So that meant that every email was dynamic. Every email was going to create the perfect offer for the customer to come and purchase from that email. And it was extremely measurable. Point A to cart to B.
0: And if that person purchased something... something, It was big in e-commerce, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Big in e-commerce. And it was very easy to prove that return on investment. If you sent an email and it cost you $100 and then you made a million dollars off of that email, it was very easy to calculate your return. And so it was very easy to feel good about the email and, and the best practices and getting the volume.
0: Yeah, um, Mailchimp was on the rise back then. Like Mailchimp was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that in B two C, it's definitely a little bit easier because you have that that nice little add to cart functionality that people can do. Um, versus in business to business, it's a little bit harder to prove out that ROI and get the story. You know, straight because there's multiple people in the buying committee and multiple leads to nurture. And you want to give them offers that they care about to generate their interest so they will come talk to sales, right? But it's never a straight line. It's never email, click, buy. And so I think as we continue to evolve in marketing technology, almost every step we take is geared toward trying to get a straighter path from the actions we take in marketing to the value that the customer sees and the way that they spend money with your business. And so marketing automation was very much that. It was all about right message to the right person at the right time with nurturing and sophisticated workflows that waited for certain triggers to happen so you could communicate with them correctly. Um, lots of different ways to just always try to get more targeted, more relevant. Give the people what they want and they will come and, you know, buy everything from you. So I do think that most of what we have done in marketing technology in the last 10 years or whatever is to continue on that quest to get closer and closer. And at the same time, we've seen, especially in software, um, the waxing and waning, you know, the different changes in how much efficiency companies are looking for and expecting. And a lot of it comes and goes with like the macroeconomic situation, but there were some times where it didn't necessarily um, matter so much. If your cost mm-hmm. of acquisition was out of control, it was just all about that growth rate. And yeah. so perhaps in those moments, you don't have a lot of care about the qualification. You just yeah. want everyone to be coming in everyone to buy everyone to go to sales. Um, that can backfire Pretty quickly, I think simply because you start to see the customer turn on the other end of that. You start to realize that bringing in customers that don't match your ideal customer profile isn't good for those retention metrics down the road. And then you're actually just bleeding out the revenue that you're putting in each quarter and you're kind of running in place. And, you know, recently with changes in the economy again, still you start to see people caring more about efficiency and. Are the dollars being spent on the right things and the right people? And how can we grow, not at all costs, but grow efficiently and create enterprise value? And so as you think about the growth of account-based marketing, that was really well aligned to Hey, don't go spend money on leads that don't matter. Let's go spend money on targeting the accounts that you want to have as your ICP, as your customers. And if you can identify them upfront and only spend money on those, you can feel better that your dollars are being spent efficiently on customers that will stay with you longer. Mm. And so that was definitely a big change in the way that people were thinking. And you had the whole flipping the funnel movement of thinking about not just the inbound funnel, but how do you go to market through um, outbound and through a more narrow lens. So I think a lot of that was geared toward efficiency and trying to get the right customers in the door. When it comes to revenue operations, I love it because I do think me and my team, we are tasked with understanding the business end to end. And you really need to see the whole picture to help people evaluate which customers do stick around. What does that mean for your ICP? Which leads do convert? In which channels do they come from? How can we Marry those things together to get an efficient demand gen engine. And then who should we be targeting? How should we be spending money on them? You know, these are all, these are all exciting problems to solve. But if you don't understand the marketing to the sales to the customer success, it's not very easy to answer those questions if you can't connect the dots from end to end. So that's what I'm passionate about is just trying to understand, um, efficient growth and, and creating that enterprise value and, especially in startups and just finding the right way to, uh, to grow the companies.
0: What, what, um, I, I heard from what you said, uh, it's still in my mind is this ABM part where you said that, uh, you know, if we want to go out of that, just inbound and, and target specific customers, uh, companies, now we need to operationalize it much better because we need to really look at the data um, mm-hmm. differently. Um, can you can you explain a bit to the audience why is it important to have next to an ABM motion, GTM motion, RevOps versus any other you know GTM uh, motion?
1: I will say, I think that as long as all of the stakeholders are in the right mindset and communicating with each other, you can get by with a lot of different models. That can You can find a way to make them make sense if all of the right people are talking to each other and all of the teams are on the same page. Now, in my experience, it's harder to get everyone on the same page without that unification across the operations team. Part of the reason this happens, I think, is because oftentimes whoever holds the keys to changing Salesforce, they are the ones that are kind of directing the traffic of who gets to do what in the system and who gets to do their project first and second and third, et cetera. And so previously um, the marketing team would come and they would have an idea about how to score accounts for account-based marketing and how they wanted to put them into tiers to show how much money they were willing to spend on certain accounts. right? And they might come with some ideas about how to change the infrastructure to manage that and measure the success of it. If you're doing that on your own, fine. But if sales doesn't understand your tiering system and what you find important and how you're scoring and what that ICP is you have no guarantee that they are going to follow the strategy. They might not realize that you have a tier one and they have their own named accounts. And guess what? Those named accounts are just in a spreadsheet and they may or may not be emailing them through the right tool to get the tracking. And you guys may not be on the same page in terms of which top accounts we're going after. So If we start to understand that marketing wants to do this infrastructure, someone in revenue operations will say, Oh, you need to talk to sales because they are also doing this tiered account thing. I know they have spreadsheets full of their named accounts. And so just being able to help people understand where they're about to trip over each other or where they're not on the same page is a really great way to get teams aligned and thinking about the same things. And I see it the most, honestly, between sales and customer success. If you think about a traditional B2B sales process, you spend months talking to people about how they're going to use the product, what they're going to do with it, how it's going to benefit them and give them value. Spend all this time. They say yes. They make their purchase. They get into onboarding. And the onboarding person says, So what do you want to do with the product? And it all starts all over again. And the person is dumbfounded. They're like, how-
0: The handover, it's a killer.
1: It's a killer. It's like, why do I have to explain this to you again? I just spent months telling your sales team what I want to do with this thing. Mm -hmm. And specifically at Terminus, when I started, I remember we had a whole bunch of fields in Salesforce for supporting new business. And we had a whole bunch of duplicates of those fields in Salesforce to support customer success. And so we realized that these teams were just not collaborating. And um it's natural, like when you grow quickly, you naturally start to create these pockets of people who are really motivated to get in there and get some things done. And you end up in a silo and and you don't always see it coming. Um and you know, it can be a little bit slower to embrace this unified customer journey and Slowing down to the extent where you're thinking it through and you're connecting the dots across the whole thing and building it right. And um, that can be a little bit harder for people to swallow when they're in hypergrowth mode. I think that's why you don't always see revenue operations really adopted well until you're coming up on that like series C kind of phase, because that's when you start to feel the pain the most. And that's when you have the luxury of.
0: Right. You don't care. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah we we have a meeting in sales hey guys we need to implement Medic. let's have these kind of questions do we have the custom fields no okay let's put the custom fields in great then the mm-hmm. same the same the customer success has a meeting guys we have a bunch of uh, customers churning we need to make sure we do better kickoff meetings we lay out all the objectives do we track this no we don't track this okay let's make the custom fields and like basically uh, it's all about communication but when you are in a hurry when you are you know Mm -hmm. you need to grow and then you have a pressure from the market and in the end a pressure from the investors right so Mm -hmm. and sometimes let's be honest it's also an issue of uh, leadership competencies right that, that you don't have some leaders who aligns that because some these leaders need to uh to talk to each other right and you have a vp level you know the cs with the vp of sales they should talk but they all have yeah. different quotas and they are all incentivized for different things. And I think everything boils yes. down to what are you incentivized on, right? New business, the other guy's churn, the VP of sales doesn't care about the uh, existing business because his quota is on new logos. So whatever, fuck, fuck it. Doesn't matter. So yep. this is we'll where- about that later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but then when the when the investment doesn't come in anymore and is or the market is saturated let's be honest the open mm-hmm. rates are not there surprise surprise uh, you have a after pandemic you know, pandemic it went up but now it's going down because of the microeconomics as you said mm-hmm. oh we need to make it more efficient we need to uh, have more targeted so Let's do ABM. I heard about this new thing that the uh, Gartner is talking about and Forrester. So let's bring it in. And then Terminus was really smart in this because you guys, like Terminus was one of the guys who really did really good SEO. Like when I look at the SEO of Terminus, like when you go on, check anything about SEO, it's, 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 uh, um, Terminus and the uh, demand um, base, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the question that I always have is like, why, when you have all this, this situation, right? Mm-hmm. Why you don't want to implement RevOps? And I went into a webinar three like two weeks ago about um, the future of RevOps. Uh, Forrester did this webinar, and they, they surveyed a bunch of uh, folks in, in leadership roles. And one of the, one of the reasons, and let's, let's dive a little bit more into this, is uh, that leaders are afraid of um, change management and mainly um, to lose talented employees. So basically, you come in as a rev ops, you want to change stuff, you want to do things totally differently. The superstar sales guy was there doing whatever he wants till you got in. Now you come up with, (laughs) (laughs) and he's like, okay, fuck it. I don't want to be part of it. I'm leaving. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I simplified it what forbes uh, Forrester said it in a much more uh, um sophisticated manner, but in a nutshell, this is what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Did you see that, and what do you think about it?
1: <laughs> a little bit I have to say I have seen it a little bit um and I do think it all depends on that phase of growth that you're in, so when you have got your your beginning funding done, let's say you've done your Series A, all you think about is growing enough and keeping it going to the extent where you're ready for Series B. right? That's really all you can do. And you're growing at any cost. You don't have time to slow down and think about the way you're doing it. And I think that's really natural. If someone at a Series A tried to hire me to come be their VP of revenue operations, I wouldn't want to do that because it's the wrong phase and i know that Mm. um you know when you find those top performers who in the beginning you're finding product market fit they've been there forever they've signed on most of the early customers most of the big ones um later you start to take a look and you look back and you see oh they actually have the worst retention after Mm -hmm. some years go by so they know enough to get anyone to sign the piece of paper But do they always bring in the right customer? Sometimes no. And it's not until you start to care, like you said, about the efficiency and the retention and the efficient growth that you start to keep an eye on. Are we even bringing in the right customers? All of a sudden, you look up one day and you say, well, we're growing at 50%, but our retention's only 80%. What is happening here? Where is this going? And, um, that's when it becomes a crisis. And then you realize we don't have any controls in place to help us make sure that we're bringing in the right customers. And you start to clamp down, maybe overreact. And then I do think those top performers are kind of harmed by that because they're used to doing whatever they, they need to do to, to get the person in. And, you know, I've always believed that what got you here won't get you there and it really speaks to you know the resources you need according to the phase of growth that you're in the mentality of the people that you need according to the phase of growth that you're in and um even when you take those top performing sales reps and you make them a little bit untouchable it's like okay everyone needs to do these new things but we don't worry about Jim over there like he knows what he's doing I've seen that happen as well. And they're only happy for so long because they really do enjoy that hypergrowth phase. And naturally, the law of large numbers just starts to let it slow down a little bit. And um, that's when you you know, bring in a few more of those controls and process. And it's hard, but it does help you grow the right way. And I think you have to be a certain person who operates well within that framework to enjoy it.
0: It's funny how you know we have all this rational way of thinking about uh, um, RevOps and ABM, but at the end of the day, it's all emotional, right? Like, oh, they, yeah. oh I don't want this because you know the my 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 top performers will leave, um, mm-hmm. which is funny. <laughs> uh, another another thing that is um, I, I was just thinking these days that the VCs come in, even at series A, even I saw some companies even at the seed uh, level today. And they ask, what's your NRR, right? Like what's your net revenue retention, mm-hmm. which in my view, it's like totally something that RevOps can control and RevOps should own and RevOps should, uh, drive that because it's connecting everything right like new business with the customer success with upselling cross selling um churn so on and so forth so still you you you're saying that if somebody is in series a um maybe revops it's in a different different stage but the vcs are asking about nrr yeah because a series a, you want growth, but the VCs are looking at NRA. Um, so in your view, if someone, you know, they got educated about RevOps, rev they are Series A, they want to make it right, right? They want to make sure, okay, there is a growth there, but still we need to make sure uh, the NRR is healthy and we have a team of RevOps. Yes. In Series A, what should um uh, ops manager in you, your view uh, start with on, in, in their jobs to help this series a company um, have a healthy NRR
1: well I do think it's going to depend a little bit on the business model um, so if the company is lucky enough to have a little bit of that product led motion um, a little bit of product usage that might lead to expansion, I think that is a whole different ball game that requires not only revenue operations but product operations to start to understand how can we get this product used to the extent where it grows itself That's like the the dream of NRR right um, if you're in a Series A company that doesn't have like that PLG motion, I think it then starts to depend on whether or not you have, you know, all the product market fit that you're looking for. And now you've begun to iterate on your platform and you're innovating and you're starting to make these next products available to people um, through upsells and such. Now, in the companies that I grew up in, that really wasn't the case. Most of the time, they grew through acquisitions and they attempted to integrate them on the back end. And the cross sell motion was the key to the NRR. So, taking your existing customer base and getting them to buy the thing that you just acquired and getting them to believe that it was integrated was the NRR vehicle.
0: Mm, okay, and so- unfortunately,
1: I can't recommend that because I don't think it necessarily always works out correctly. Mm-hmm.
0: But you mentioned something, the product operations, um, mm-hmm. explain a bit to the audience what's the difference between RevOps and product operations and where, where is the, um, let's say overlap between the two, because some might think that RevOps is the same as product ops. And there are few companies that have product ops, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's probably still evolving even more than revenue operations right now. Because I think sometimes people... When you say product ops, they might think of um, actually DevOps and like keeping your platform up and mm-hmm. all the things that happen in the background. That's not necessarily what I'm referring to. I'm thinking more about a product operations person who's responsible for Tending to the product roadmap and gathering customer feedback, and making sure that everyone is aware of what's coming with the product, whether it's releases and communications, and um, making sure that that product marketing and marketing are ready to take those innovations and sell them. You know, there's a, a whole art there that I will say I would love to learn more about it. It's not my current strong suit today. Um, But I've seen, you know, how the lack of it can get people confused. And when sellers don't quite know what they are supposed to sell and what they're not, they hear about all this great innovation and they just go start selling it. And, you know, maybe it doesn't come out at the time that you said, maybe it's not as real as what they thought. And so those can create again, customer friction. It's all about, in my opinion, reducing the customer friction finding a way to provide the most value and product operations being tied in with sales enablement and revenue operations is ultimately so important because those are the people that can help keep everybody aligned and set the right expectations. Like this new product is coming in 3 quarters. We're not selling it today. You need to know about it because it's going to become part of what you sell. But this is the launch date. And this is how pricing will change at that time. And this is who's going to get grandfathered in. Their package is going to automatically include this. Here's the upsell you know, target list that we have for this innovation because their package won't include it. There's just so much planning and organization that needs to happen to take things to market. And if you don't have anyone who can talk to all those different people and just kind of keep the train on the tracks, then you become disorganized very quickly.
0: Yeah, and sales guys will always be this... Uh will always have this shiny object syndrome, right? Like they will, they will be like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this innovation, this AI thing just came out and this is what you can do and that is what you can do. And I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I, 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 I was doing sales and I know why it is. It's because it's, all this innovation is conversation starter, right? And mm-hmm. we have a reason to talk. There is no other reason. So now you product, you gave me a reason and now you're holding me back. Like you're telling me that I cannot tell my <laughs> about this awesome thing because you need to do the freaking planning. <laughs> like really? <laughs> like, I will never... Uh, if if i would you know be hungry in my 20s to do sales i would i would, I would not be able to hold hold back you know it's like yeah. really so um i think that uh this this whole um ops role at the beginning it, it's all about uh, education and enablement so I'm also thinking about this the the, the this part right like okay we, we have all these product people and usually they are more senior people at least this is how I experience it right so you have mm-hmm. these senior guys who do all this planning and they they are organized they don't want to rush they want to make it uh, proper so on and then you have the 25 years old, 20, out of college, you know, SDR, ready to sell, you know, it joins different meetings, it hears about all this great stuff. And then this person doesn't even understand what the product people say. They don't understand the product well, they just have some keywords. Obviously, it will go out to, to, to say. But then the senior guy is so in their tech bubble. And it's in all these RevOps bubble that they even forget to, that, hey, I need to coach these college guys that, you know, I need to (laughs) coach folks. I need to tell them, enablement and so on. So this is another layer, I think, of RevOps that many times we are um, uh, avoiding, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I know that this is quite expensive, right? To have also the whole enablement part also. But if if we are in a series A company, what is that must have enablement that you, not even seriously, it doesn't matter what uh, stage you are in, but what is that minimum enablement that RevOps needs to do to make sure that guys, we are doing ABM, we are doing these motions. We have these product launches. This is a go to market. How is RevOps taking this enablement cut and, and making sure things are in place?
1: So I've been asked recently, you know, what's the right time to hire a revenue operations leader? And it could be at a certain phase of growth. It could be at like a certain dollar amount, who knows? But at the end of the day, I would rather have one strong analyst, one or two strong operations people, and a really good enablement person before I bring in a big revenue operations leader. I think that if you grow that team organically from the bottom and find a good way for them to report centrally to maybe like CFO or COO, or whatever and then later bring in that layer of leadership for revenue operations, having that enablement person as early as you can, I would prioritize that more highly before I brought in like a very experienced RevOps leader. Because it is that important to have people on the same page. And customer success operations is very important, probably earlier than what people expect. And to you know tie it back to the NRR question it is much easier to grow your NRR from a place of better retention than it is from throwing expansion on top of your revenue. So in my opinion, it really just comes back to customer value, retention, sell to the right people in the first place. One of the biggest benefits of enablement, I think, is that if you can find some level of confidence that people are doing things the same way, then you can find ways to change it and impact the way that your sales motion is you know, resulting in dollars. But if everyone is selling differently, and I don't know who's adopting the change, and I can't tell if the thing that I just introduced made a difference, then you're just guessing all the time. And so I think that we get very impatient. We want to just change a bunch of things at once. That's really hard because you don't know which thing helped you grow. So I think it's important to get everybody doing the same thing. Try to make it as buttoned up as you can. Even if that means that like your best sales guy who refuses to follow the talk track because he's using the one from 10 years ago, if he has to go, then he has to go because you have no way to replicate his success if you can't have everybody doing the same thing. And so if you can get people on the same page, and then you introduce these adjustments, one at a time, you can actually see the impact of it, and I think that's how you grow a little bit more predictably um versus not being sure how you got to ten million dollars. I know so many companies that are like not sure how they got to ten million dollars, and there's a bunch of them that aren't even sure how they got to one hundred million either because they just did a bunch of things and they got very lucky that a
0: lot of them worked yeah that's a that's a very good point. Before we end, I would like to go a bit into the career part because um, I'm always curious, like, if today, 2023, Mallory, you just graduated university, yeah? You are, like, just starting your career. Would Revolves be still, like, the path to take? And I know that we are biased and you know we have this experience and whatever, but, and if yes, why? And if you could open up a totally different, uh, you know, pot in all this market tech and, and the experience you had, what would that be and why?
1: Great question. I would like to think that I would choose this all over again. Um, Really, because I get a lot of joy from solving puzzles and coming up with, you know, the solution to something that's complex and having people agree on it and be on the same page. I get a lot of satisfaction from that. I like to connect people and keep them together. Um, I think another area where you are doing like the creative solutioning and solving puzzles is really in like that software development world. Um, if I had to pick something else, I would potentially look at that because I think it's the same stuff on a different scale that you are solving a puzzle in front of you and, and coming up with a creative way to make the thing work. And then if that thing does work, then a lot of people are going to want to adopt it and use it and benefit from it. So Um, I've got three little boys and I definitely am hoping that at least one of them wants
0: to be software engineer. (laughs) Ah, Nice. Solving puzzles. Yeah. Both of them are solving puzzles. Great. Uh, I don't know, Mallory, if you have some questions, like we can have some time if, if, if you want me to ask me some questions before, before we end this episode. I
1: don't have anything springing to mind right now. Um, I do have a different um, a different call to get to, so probably better to to wind it down. But this has been fun. I loved it.
0: Thanks a lot, Mallory, and uh, thanks a lot, guys, for tuning in. I loved it. It was great to talk to you. Awesome experience uh, throughout the revops. I mean, you really saw the the evaluation, uh, like evolution of uh, of revops and ABM and um, enjoy the rest of the day thanks a lot and take care